John's journal from 1656 tells us that he was reading Romans 3.25. Then John writes, As I was walking up and down in the house, as a man in a most woeful state, the word of God took hold of my heart. Oh, what a turn it made upon me. I was as one awakened out of some troublesome dream, John wrote. He was converted as he contemplated the truth of God putting forward his son Jesus as a substitute. It was John Bunyan. He would go on to write the Christian of the Christian journey in his most famous title, The Pilgrim's Progress. Our text this morning is another John 3.16 of the Scriptures that has been used in amazing ways to communicate the amazing grace. How is someone justified in God's sight? Paul wrote the book of Romans to declare to us the undeserved, the unmatched, the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been considering the different divisions of this of this great text, of this great letter. We looked at the priority of the gospel, and now we are in the second division, the heart of the gospel. And we've taken time to think about the righteousness of God being revealed through, through, through God's wrath. We are in need of God's righteousness. It is our only hope to obtain God's righteousness. That righteousness has been revealed through God's anger for sin. Then we took several weeks to consider the righteousness of God, how it reigns with justice, God shows no partiality. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And now we are considering this next section, that God's righteousness is received by faith. We've spent the the majority of 20 sermons considering how unjust we are as human beings. And and we've considered uh, how we are dreadfully sinful individuals. How can an unjust person ever hope to stand before the just judgment of God? How can someone be saved? From chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, we've considered the depravity of the human soul. And then we come to chapter 3 and verse number 21, and it says, But now! But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon them all that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forward to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not 
also of the, the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. We hold to it. In verse number 21, Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, has been shown apart from the law. That is the game changer. This, this word now, it's referring to that glorious reality that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of, of God, he, he came to the earth, He lived, He served, He died, and He rose again. Because of Jesus, Paul is telling us, we can have God's righteousness. Chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, give us 11 truths about God's righteousness. We're studying those 11 truths over, over three Sundays. We've already covered the first four. We'll cover three more this morning. First of all, we noted that God's righteousness is independently effective. In other words, God's righteousness comes apart from our law-keeping. Secondly, God's righteousness is seen in Scripture. It's testified of in the prophets, in, in the law and the prophets. They testify, they give, they give knowledge of God's righteousness. Thirdly, we noted that God's righteousness is obtained through faith. And, and Paul will, will further unfold that in chapter 4. Fourthly, we noted a couple of weeks ago that God's righteousness is available for all. For there is no distinction. For, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Today we move to those next three truths about God's righteousness as we prepare to come to the table and celebrate it. Christian, this passage these two verses that we will focus on this morning, they call you and me to gratitude, to humility, to worship, to continued faith and hope and assurance. If you gathered with us this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, this passage calls you to trust in Jesus. It explains to you that there is indeed a way to be reconciled to God even though at first you have rejected that way. These verses are some of the most important in all of the Scripture. At the greatest, at greatest cost to Himself, God gives you His righteousness to appease anger for your sin. You are saved by God from God. First, number five, God's righteousness is given by grace. Look at verse 23 again. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Being justified freely by His grace. It's a gift. God's righteousness is a gift. God is giving. God is giving freely. God is giving us what we do not deserve. God's righteousness is, is given by grace. That's the only way that anyone is ever justified by God, by God's grace. This is the first time we read the word justify in the book of Romans. Paul tells us that it's by grace that we have been justified. Justification, it, it doesn't make a change in us. Rather, it's a de declaration about us. God is declaring 
that we are righteous. When our son was born on October the 31st of 2003, we declared him to be Jonathan Peyton Walters. When our daughter was born on June the 25th, 2009, you guys thought I was going to forget, didn't you? June the 25th, 2009, we declared her to be Elise Eliana Chesed Walters. We gave them a name. It didn't change them internally. It didn't make them something. But we declared them to be these people. It's on their birth certificates. We pronounced them. It was our announcement. In justification, God announces that we are righteous. God is not simply treating us as righteous. He's declaring us to be so. It's not, oh, I'll pretend that you are are righteous. No, God is actually declaring us to be righteous. To be justified is to be acquitted by God from all the charges that have been brought against us. So how does God do that? How could a holy God simply declare us to be righteous? Because we know that we are sinners. Paul gives us the answer. It's one word, grace. God freely gives to us his grace. For by grace we are saved. God declaring us righteous is, is, is an action that is unmerited. We know that we're rotten sinners, right? You can look back at, your, at last week. We know that we don't deserve to be declared righteous. So if God does this, it can only be by his grace. And not only does he make this declaration, but he offers it freely to us. It would, it would have to be free, otherwise it would no longer be grace. Now I say that God offers to justify you and me freely, But it's only free to you and me because it comes at great cost to him, as we will think about in just a moment. God gives a gift freely. He gives us the gift of justification to those who have defied him, to those who have rebelled against him, to those who have provoked him to his face. God has announced you to be righteous. You, of all people, you, God has declared you to be righteous. It defies human reasoning that I should be declared righteous. It defies human reasoning that I've been acquitted of all the charges that have been brought against me. It's God's grace. If the first few chapters have taught us anything, they have taught us that there is no difference between humans. We are all undeserving of God's kindness. All of salvation from beginning to end is apart from our works. Friend, hear the message from Paul. You cannot declare yourself to be righteous. Only God has the right and the ability to declare you to be righteous. To be justified in his sight is a free gift. Understanding that God's righteousness is given by grace will will humble us, won't it, when when we fully understand it. There can be no attitude of superiority when we acknowledge that God has given us His righteousness. When we grasp the reality of grace, we'll stop pointing to our, to our good points. Hey, look what I did there, or what I'm doing here, and look what I've done in the past. We'll stop pointing to our good points, and instead we'll be humbled before God. Christian, you can rest. You can, you can be at ease. Your soul can rest in your eternal status because our justification is by grace. You can not be anxious about heaven or hell if your faith is in Jesus because it's all a work of grace. Do you see it? If, if, you were, if it were up to you or up to me, we'd have no assurance of our salvation. But grace is a very bedrock of the assurance 
that we are saved by God. You don't have to waffle. God justified you freely by His grace. At the greatest cost to Himself, God gives you His righteousness to appease His anger for your sin. God God saves you from Himself. God's righteousness is given by grace. Next, number six in our list of 11, God's righteousness is realized through redemption. Again, verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it's not just a gift. It's a costly gift. Our redemption cost God His Son. Our redemption cost Jesus His life. I was reading Martin Lloyd-Jones this week. I love the way he states it. He says, Jesus Christ did not come into the world merely to announce the way of salvation. Jesus came to make the way of salvation. The whole gospel hangs on that preposition, through. We are justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption comes through Jesus and through no other. God's gift of righteousness is a gift, a costly gift. It comes through redemption in Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be redeemed? What does this word redemption mean? It carries the ideas of of, of ransom, uh, of the payment of a price. Jesus paid a price to deliver us. We were slaves to sin, and Jesus paid the price to free us from our bondage to sin. Hebrews, again, we read from Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, but here's some from chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have have come, then through the greater and more perfect tents, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus secured for us once and for all our redemption. Or 1 Peter chapter 1 for as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spots. We were bound in our sin, following the prince of the power of the air. We needed to be bought back. And that's just what Jesus did. We know that, right? That's not news to most of us this morning. But we forget it. We forget the drastic sinful ways that are of our pre-conversion life. We forget that we needed to be ransomed. That's why we come to the table this Lord's Day, to be reminded that Christ redeemed us. Friend, if you've gathered with us this morning, you're watching on live stream, you've never trusted that Jesus has paid the ransom for your soul, I invite you to believe that He died for you to pay for your sin. I invite you to trust in Jesus, to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. If you don't know what, do not know and understand what it means to be born again, you have more questions, talk with one of us after the service. We'd love to show you from God's Word what it means to be born again. Christian, as we approach this Christmas time, what a glorious reality it is to consider our redemption. Will you respond with the reminder this morning? Will you respond with holy living? Jesus left heaven to be crucified for you. Will you in turn submit to him as your master? 
Will you flee from the sin that, that, that He has conquered for you? God's righteousness is realized through the redemption that we have in Christ. At the greatest cost to Himself, God gives you His righteousness to appease His anger for your sin. You are saved by God from God. God's righteousness is given by grace. God's righteousness is revealed through redemption. Thirdly, or seven, number seven in the list of 11, God's righteousness is purchased by blood. Look at verse 25. Redemption is in Christ Jesus, verse 24, whom God hath set forth, put forward, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. So it's a gift God freely gives. It's a costly gift. It comes through the redemption uh, that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's a costly gift that appeases whom God has put forward to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. God is angered by our sin. Your selfishness, your lust, your deceit, your gossip, your abortion, your lying, your racial prejudice, your hate, your self-righteousness, and any other sin that you have committed against God, God hates. When you and I get angry and we don't, we don't naturally respond in the way that God has responded as revealed to us here in Romans 3, God put forward His Son. This happened at Calvary. There are two very important words here that Paul uses to describe God putting forward Jesus Christ in order that we might be declared righteous. The word propitiation and the word blood. Propitiation, that's a great word, and I'm happy that modern translations have kept that word. It's not a common word in the New Testament. It's not a common word in our, in our, in our, in our talk in church. There's, I think, one or two hymns that we sing that have that word propitiation in there. It's the same English word that we, that we see in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, but it's actually a different Greek word, same root word, but not an identical match. It's a word that we find in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 5. It's the same word that the Septuagint uses for mercy seats. So the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, and the Septuagint uh, uh, is translate, translate mercy seats from the Old Testament tabernacle, with this word propitiation. It takes us back to the Old Testament tabernacle and, and the Holy of Holies. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest entered the most holy place of the tabernacle. And there, the priest would go to the Ark of the Covenant, a box that had a, a cover called the mercy seat. And on the Day of Atonement, the priest entered to make propitiation. He took the blood of an animal, the sacrifice, and sprinkled the mercy seat. So when God looked down from heaven, he would not see the law of Moses that had been broken time and time again by the Israelites. Instead, he would see the blood of an innocent victim. Propitiation had been made. It was a way of making atonement for the sins of the people. The word propitiate means to placate, to appease, to avert wrath. Propitiation involves uh, the removal of an offense, appeasing the offended party. It involves a guilty offender and a sacrifice or a means for making atonement for the offense. And so Paul is pointing us to all of that 
here in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. He's pointing us to the, to the fact that the propitiation was made when God put forward Jesus. The offense by the guilty party was removed. God was, was appeased through the sacrificial atonement of Christ. Something is necessary from both sides, the offender and the, the one who is offended. And God has done something wonderful. God has worked on he has, he has worked on both sides of the equation. He has been offended, but he has also put forward his son Jesus on the other side of the equation to be the atoning sacrifice. We are saved by God from God. 1 John chapter 2 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The one who has been put forward represents us as an advocate. But there's a second part of the, 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 the explanation that Paul gives to us. Whom God has put forward as a propitiation through faith in his blood. How is Jesus our propitiation? How does he make propitiation for us? By his blood. Acts chapter 20 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his blood. 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all of our sin. Why blood? It follows the Old Testament teaching it, it canceling the guilt of the sinner. The sinner took a lamb and laid his hands on it, symbolically laying his sins on the animal. Then the animal was killed and the blood was shed. The sinner was restored to fellowship with God. Blood had to be part of it. But here's the kicker. The God who was offended by our sins, that same God has become the substitute to shed his blood for us. He has borne our sins and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. So Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So God, God needs to be appeased for us to have eternal life. The only way for God to be appeased is if we are as righteous as He is. And the only way that we can be righteous is if God declares us to be righteous by His grace because we don't deserve to be declared righteous. And the only way that He can declare us to be, to be, to be righteous before Him by His grace and to be thus appeased is through the bloody sacrifice, bloody sacrifice of, of, an, of an innocent animal or an innocent uh, someone who would be able to stay a substitute for us and the only one qualified to shed his blood to be that atoning sacrifice is God himself Jesus Christ he works both sides of the the reconcili reconciliation equation we keep falling we keep sinning but the blood of Christ keeps cleansing what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole, reconciled again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
Nothing can for my sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus has turned away God's wrath. You no longer need to fear God's anger against you for your sin. Anger has been diverted by God to His Son. Children, do you ever become fearful that God is mad at you? You don't have to fear ever again if your trust is in Jesus because God took His anger out on His Son instead of taking it out on you. Christian, precisely because you are in Christ, you can be assured that God will never be angry with you. And that changes how you live today and tomorrow and this week. At the greatest cost to himself, God gives us his righteousness to appease his anger for our sin. We are saved by God from God. 100 years after John Bunyan was gloriously converted from his study of this text, William Cooper came on the scene and he had a a very difficult life, a miserable childhood. The death of his mother when he was six years old was sent to boarding school where he was bullied, abused. By 25 years old, he had, had been committed to a private asylum for, because he had attempted uh, suicide multiple times. He was a man who was very sensitive to his own sin. He was a man who could read Romans chapter 1, verses of verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, and be just completely overwhelmed and distraught because of his sin. He often cried out, My sin! Oh, for some fountain open for my cleansing. One day, William Cooper opened the Bible to Romans, and he read, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Cooper says, I received strength to believe. I saw the sufficiency of the atonement and the completeness of his justification. In a moment, I believed and I received the gospel. And William Cooper would later pen the words, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Brothers and sisters, as we come to the table this morning, we are proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ. We are proclaiming, we are professing that we trust in the kind grace of God, the unmerited favor that He has shown to us We are professing that Jesus bought us back, that what he did at the cross, that that redemption, we are saved through that redemption, through Jesus Christ. We are proclaiming, we are are professing that we have been declared righteous by God's grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward. God did it for us. God made the sacrifice that we couldn't make. And that God is satisfied. He's angered no more. Because Christ's blood, the blood of an innocent, no blemish sacrifice has been made, has been shed for us. What a privilege it is to come to the table and to remember this kind gift, the work of Jesus on our behalf.
With that privilege in mind, let us also be reminded of the warning that Paul issues to the church. We are not to participate as unbelievers. This, is a, this, this practice, this ordinance is for God's children, for Christ followers. We're also not to, to participate while we're holding on to sin. So we're not to come irreverently to the table. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth to examine your hearts, to evaluate what's going on in your own hearts. You can't come perfectly, but you come not holding on to sin. Not, not, uh, you don't come by refusing to confess sin. We're called to recognize both the gravity of our sin and the weight of Christ's glorious sacrifice as we come to the table. So take a moment now to examine your own hearts, and then when you are ready and the, the, the piano begins to play, you're welcome to come and to take the bread and the cup. There's a table at the back of the, uh, the fellowship hall, and you could use the center aisle to go down to receive the bread and the cup and then come down.